Well, thank you, Patrick, for this uh, very, very kind introduction. Um, you know, I'm so honoured and privileged to be able to um, have this opportunity to just share with you my life, my journey, uh, what are some of the uh, things that are, are happening, you know, in the, what I see in the marketplace, you know, uh, in my practice areas. And of course, you know, today's meet is about leaving a legacy, uh, where there's a will, there's a way I've termed it as such. Uh, you will realize that there's a sort of a hidden message behind the, the title itself. You know, um, and uh, I'm going to share with you some really good news later. Uh, before that, uh, could I have a show of hands? You know, how many of you are actually believers in Jesus Christ? Majority. Wow, wonderful. Thank you. Um, I just want to start my introduction by uh, just sharing, you know, uh, my, my journey at work. Uh, I've been uh, approaching my 10th year in, in private practice. Um, of course, will writing is one of my practice areas, but essentially, I'm somebody who goes to court. Um, I'm, I'm actually a litigator. You know, I'm trained to, to argue my clients' cases uh, before the judges. right? And um, that is something that is very different from my personality because, number one, I'm a very introverted person. Okay, my wife will tell you that, <laughs> you know, that, that a lot of times at, at night and even, you know, she has challenges trying to engage me in conversations. No? But, you know, in, in, in litigation, uh, you know, actually you're paid to talk. Uh. You're, you know, you're paid to, to persuade people. So I, I never ever imagined that I will actually end up in this line or in this job. Never did I imagine. I remember when I was in JC, I was a, just a very withdrawn guy, you know, I have, some, I have a primary school friend here, Zen. Uh, he knows me from, from almost from birth, and I know him from six years old. You know, he, he knows me inside out, and I'm a very shy guy. You know, even you know, talking in front of you, uh, I, I need to prepare myself for like two weeks, that kind of thing. You know, because I'm just naturally withdrawn. So, so the first thing that I want to share with you is that, you know, uh, I, I realized that if, if God can use a, a very shy, a very withdrawn guy, and, and then, you know, Put him in this, in this job. There's nothing that God cannot do for you. You know, because all of us have been blessed, you know, by, by different skill sets, different talents, you know, different wiring, your different temperament. And it's like the parable of the talents that when uh, Sister Christine, you know, prayed for me just now, you know, I was reminded that we have all been given a talent or two, some of us, five, ten. And we can all use our talent to serve God. So, um... To recap, I, I spent four years in one of the big four firms in Singapore. I was trained as a litigator, worked with the best lawyers in the country. And then at the end of my fourth year, you know, I felt a lot impressed upon me that um, in my heart is more for the men on the street. You know, I know that there are a lot of high level individuals down here. <laughs> Don't be offended because uh, at that point of time, I realized that, you know, in a big firm, uh, you don't get to you know, the, the men on the street cannot afford the fees, right? So we are always helping one high net worth individual sue the other high net worth individuals. And then we have multinational companies, you know, suing each other. That's essentially how the game is being played in the big firms, you know. And then my heart began to, to because I always have a soft spot for the men on the street. And I want to use the legal skills that I have acquired, which the big law firm has blessed me with, lah. To, to serve these people. And, but the only problem is that I, I did not have any clientele on my own. 
and did not have any sort of recognition, any track record. You know, I was just an employee. But the Lord challenged me, you know, uh, go out of that big firm and, and, and start your own practice. You know, at the point of time, that was a very, very faith-stretching thing, you know, because at the time, you know, I was uh, just got married. My daughter just came or uh, was in the verge of coming out, you know, and then we had to pay for renovations and all that. Financially, we are committed, you know, but it's also at the point of time where, where I realized that God is my provider and when I step out in faith, just like Peter stepping out of the boat, God rewards. And, and, and then I began to see miracles uh, take place and I, as I parked myself with a very small outfit and started my practice on a zero salary sort of arrangement. I started to, you know, experience God's provision and one by one, you know, the clients came. Right? And uh, to cut a long story short, I ex- experienced you know, God's hand, blessing you know, on my practice. And, and then it started to grow. And just last uh, year, you know, we, I started this firm full-fledged come out of my own. Uh, we call this firm Covenant Chambers uh, LLC. You know, that has something to do with what I'm going to share later. So where am, where I want to share with you is from my vantage point. You know, in, in church, we, we see a lot of healings take place a lot because of course you know the pastors see all the the sickness and all the needs that are out there but let me tell you what i see from my vantage point that you know there are in singapore although you know overall we are very affluent but there are people who really need help and a lot of people are actually under oppression just to give you two examples you know i acted for this guy a very senior guy but i think in his 60s really and uh, he was a very rich man, but his business failed. So he made a mistake early in his life. You know, he actually uh, kept a mistress, and then had three children with the mistress. You know, and then he gave a lot. You know, buy houses and all that for the mistress. But when his business failed, the mistress went for the kill. You know, she was not contented uh, with what she had from him and started to take him to court for maintenance uh, for the three children. And that was more than what he could bear. And then, you know, he engaged us, and then I acted for him, you know, almost on a pro bono basis uh, to help him out. And um, we, we prayed for him, and he, because of the whole episode, uh, he confessed to his wife, and his wife actually miraculously forgiven him. She forgave him. And more miraculously, he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in his life during the whole episode before he came. So, you know, we, we prayed and when we went to court and we managed to get the maintenance being uh, reduced dramatically. And I could remember his expression you know, when, when, when we came out of the court that day when he received the wording. You know, he, he was tearing and he was giving thanks to God because that yoke of oppression now was removed from him. Another example is a recent case that I did that has to do with money lenders. I hope none of us are <laughs> money lenders. Are. You know, there's this my licensed money lenders, and actually a lot of my licensed money lenders, they have uh, MBAs, and got masters in business. Don't, don't, they are very well-educated, well and they are very clever. Okay? And they are very creative, uh, let me warn you. So please, you know, if I could just urge us, don't, don't go and borrow from them, because they charge exorbitant interest. Okay, and there's always creative ways that they use uh, to make you pay more. And that was one of the things that the money lenders did. Okay, they, they, 
they use this tactic called refinancing. Okay, it's reported recently in the newspapers, right? Refinancing, and then every time they refinance, they ask the borrower to pay 10%. So if you refinance once every week, you end up paying 40%. 40% of the principal, you borrow 10,000, you, you have to pay up 4,000 in a week, you know, can you imagine? That is hemorrhaging. So we got, and then when, so the, the borrower actually ended up paying more than twice or about twice the principal amount, and the money lender still sue her for $135,000. That's where we were engaged to act for her. Again, you know, on a reduced fees basis, we acted for her. And uh, we got the high court to say that you cannot do that the money lender, because the way it is refinanced is unconscionable, it is unfair to her, you know. And that's what I mean by, by, at the end of the day, I feel that, you know, some of us, we are, for me, you know, I think God has opened this, this door and, and that I'm a gatekeeper of justice. And when there are things that, that people face that are injustice, you know, we, we are called like, as Christians to, to be sought and light, right? So we, we, we are in a position to help. And, and because of, of the intervention, you know, the High Court agreed with our, with our client's case, which very interesting, if you poll 10 people, like, a lot of people actually feel that I think her case will lose because according to contract, uh, everything is very sweet, you know. You know, like, you know what I mean, you know, it's like all these financial institutions, uh, they will cover their, their, their everything, you know, it's, it's, you dot the, the I's and cross the T's, like, everything very beautiful. But... You look at the whole substance of the transaction, uh, it's actually very unconscionable and unfair. So that's what I uh, share basically, you know, my, in, uh, my introduction. But of course today, you know, we are going into a very specific topic called uh, will writing and, and uh, legacy planning. I'm sure you have uh, been exposed to some of this, maybe from your, your uh, financial planner, or you, you might have attended similar seminars before. But let me tell you certain things and share, you know, uh, from a lawyer's perspective, okay? Uh, the first thing I want to share about, okay, it's meant to be very inf informative. That means I'll be sharing a lot of information. But I also hope that it will be very transformative, that the message today will touch you and touch your life and transform your life. All right, are we ready? Okay, good. Um, okay, the first thing uh, is... You know, I want to explore, is it biblical, you know, to, to those Christians down here, is it biblical to actually plan, okay, for, for uh, the inevitable, something that we all have to go through, you know, the day that we are no longer here, the day that we are promoted to glory, you see? Now, I, I, I chose this verse, Isaiah 38, verse 12, that says, you know, it's about King Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and you shall not recover. Of course, we know that by God's grace, he got extended uh, his life 15 years, King Hezekiah. But you look at this, set your house in order. You know, I, when, you know I, I, King Hezekiah was at the point of death and the prophet came to him, you know, you've got to set your house in order. You've got to leave a legacy so that your house don't become, you know, uh, disordered or in shambles after you leave. And that's what I see from a litigation perspective because if a legacy is not handled well, you know, there are people, a lot of people that can <laughs> have disagreement, you know. Over, I mean, I don't have to explain further, you know, the recent case and all that. 
the family saga, right? Today we are not going to talk about that, but we are going to talk more generally. But this is an example that even when you get professional lawyers to draft the will, people still not happy, right? There can be still disagreement and all that. So I think it's it's very biblical and and very logical to handle this part, uh, you know, of of thinking about legacy planning, right? Now, then we've got to explore what happens uh, when you don't have the will, right? What happens when you don't have the will, right? When, if you don't have a will, the estate uh, will be, your estate meaning the assets, you know, after you're no longer around, your assets will be distributed in accordance with the Intestate Succession Act, okay? Now, Intestate Succession Act, there's a fixed formula Okay, so the, the law of the land will govern it. It's a fixed formula. Um, and uh, if you have a spouse and you have children, half of it will go to the spouse, half to the children. If you have just a spouse, no children, your parents are still around, half to your spouse and half to your parents. If you don't have spouse, don't have children, everything goes to your parents. But more generally, I know that I'm speaking very fast, there are seven categories of relationship. That, you, that the law says you can give to, seven categories. The last being probably, I think, grand-uncles. Okay, grand-uncles is still in one of the second categories. Right? So, anybody want to make a guess if you don't have any of the second, seven categories, who does the money go to? Government. Wow! True blue Singaporean style. You have read the government's intention perfectly. The government takes your money if you don't have any of the seven categories. But let me share with you that it is possible to ask the government to release the monies to somebody who has a moral or equitable claim. It's in under Section 27 of the Civil Law Act. Not many people know this, but, but for example, we have acted for somebody who don't, don't fall within any of the seven because it's her father's cousin. Okay? Don't fall into seven categories. And uh, all the immediate relatives are all passed away already. By right, it should be going to the government, but we made, uh, because that person is the caregiver while well, he was still alive. And we said that because of the caregiving, she has a moral and equitable claim. So we actually managed to get the government to give the money to her. You know, you need a warrant from Ministry of Law. Okay, to do that. So this is something that, that um, just to share with you, okay, what, what, what if, you know, how your assets will be distributed. Now, uh, the advantage, uh, the very uh, um, obvious advantage of having a will is that uh, the process of obtaining a grant of letters of administration, which is in the case of not having a will, is generally longer and more complicated, okay? than uh, obtaining a grant of probate if there's a will. So the process is definitely more complicated. The legal fees that you have to spend, definitely more. Okay? Now, but more importantly, what is the risk if you don't have a will? Uh? Okay, your wishes may not get executed. You know, especially if what you wish to give to your family falls outside uh, what the Intestate Succession Act provides, right? So, for example, in both in terms of people that you want your, you to, to give to, as well as the proportion may be different from what the general rule is. 
So in that case, it's definitely uh, more advantageous for you to, to make a will. Now, let's go to uh, a definition of a will, right? This is a legal definition. Sorry to bore you with all this legal language, but I tried to make it as layman as possible. A declaration in a prescribed manner of the intention of the person making it with regard to matters which he wishes to take effect on or after his death. So essentially two things. Number one, there are formalities to a will. You can't show a piece of paper and say that this is your will. Okay, there are certain formalities to follow. Okay, so, so there is a prescribed manner, right? The, the second thing is the intention of what we call the testator or the settlor. That means the person making the will. The intention has to be very clear what you are trying to achieve. So a lot of people have uh, undergo a myth uh, to say that actually only lawyers can help or professionals can help to draft a will. But do you know that a will can actually be drafted by yourself? Right? As long as you actually comply with the formality requirements as well as you are clear in what you are trying to express through the will. These two things uh, will, will, will get your will being authenticated and approved by the court after you know, you're no longer around. Okay, so uh, let us look at uh, what is a will. Uh? I mean, I have uh, my own definition. There's actually four things. Okay, later we will come back to this because it's a very interesting thing. Um, four things. What is a will? Now, it has to be written by a person that is of a higher order. A higher order doesn't mean, you know, uh, alien or what, you know. Higher order means... Uh, a person who has something to give. That means a person of high order. The testator and the settlor always has something to benefit the other side. Right? The second thing is that a will uh, is one-sided. Another characteristic of a will. It is one-sided. That means uh, it doesn't... Um, it's one-way traffic, you know. It's to give an inheritance... Right? And to benefit the beneficiaries in the will. The settlor himself, because he has really passed away, so he does not benefit. But he wants to see his wishes being carried out. The third thing, between a will, there's a difference between a will and a contract. Okay? The third thing is the beneficiaries generally, they do not need to perform any service or duties. Okay? How do they inherit the estate? They inherit by virtue of their relationship with the testator. Generally, those who have a relationship with the testator will benefit from the will itself. And number four, the will only kicks into effect upon the death of the settlor. So these are four characteristics of, the, of a will that I want to share with you. Okay, let's move on to formalities. Sorry, I'm going a bit fast because we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, formalities, very simple. Okay? Every will has to be signed by the testator. Okay? You've got to sign it and uh, in the presence of two witnesses. Right? In the presence of two witnesses. Uh, again, it can be written in any language. So, um, there are lawyers who actually get sued uh, because they didn't actually... Uh, and, uh, prepare for two witnesses to witness the will. Okay, then the other thing is, if you are a beneficiary, okay, if you are a beneficiary, 
you, you don't be a witness. The reason is because if you are beneficiary and if you are a witness, then you cannot inherit your portion of the gift that the settler wants you to have. Okay, you are, you, the gift to you actually will fail lah, because you are a, 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 a witness. You know? Basically, the, the whole idea is to, to, to prevent any undue influence from you when you are witnessing. Then you, you know, it's like you, you try to manipulate and control the whole thing. Right? So, um, so if the, the, the will, the, the gift to you fails, uh, where does it go to? If there is a, what we call a residuary clause in the will, it will go to the residuary clause under the beneficiaries under it. I will explain what a residuary clause is later. Okay? Now, if there's no residuary clause, then it will be distributed according to intestate succession act. Okay? The ISA. Alright? Okay. Forms and clauses in the will. Okay, I'll, I'll just go through very briefly, you know, what are the clauses you generally find in a will, right? The commencement, of course, you've got to identify who the settlor is, IC number, name, address, at least three minimum things to sufficiently identify the, the person making the will. Okay, that's very straightforward. And then we will, the will will talk about the revocation of previous wills and testamentary instruments okay we will always provide for revocation right because you have, could have made a series of wills guess which one will prevail the last will will prevail right lky made seven wills which one did prevail the seventh will right okay so the other thing is you got to think of who you want to appoint as your executor and trustee obviously as the name suggests it has to be somebody that you trust okay the executor and trustee is the, is the person that will be entrusted with the duty to administer your will, go to court to help you, you know, do all the uh, authentication and approval and all that. Right? Um, then we go to uh, um, your gifts and your beneficiaries, your gifts. Who are you giving to? Specific gifts, okay? What are you actually trying to do? Uh, specific gifts is, for example, you know, uh, I have an insurance policy. The cash out from the insurance policy will be given to so and so, right? Specific gifts, and then we have general gifts. General gifts are what uh, you don't know where it's going to come from, but you give, let's say, a, a sum, general sum, fifty thousand to somebody, right? That's a general gift. Residuary gifts. What are these? These are the catch-all provision in the will, the paukaleo clause. That means anybody. For example, either predeceased you, don't get to get the gift, and then it falls back to the residuary clause. How is it going to be distributed? Right? So residuary clause is very important because it makes sure that at the end of it, there is somebody who is going to get what you desire to give. Alright? Now, I'll briefly go through who, who to execute the will. Okay? Maximum, there's four executors. You could think of somebody that you trust to execute a will for you. Who are your beneficiaries? Who are you going to give to? Right? Their will. Minus, okay, if you're, if you're going to give to minors, it's best to give the gift to an adult and hold on trust for minors until they reach 21 where they can fully inherit. Right? Uh, are you going to give an absolute sum or are you going to give percentage? Something to think about, right? 
who are the what are the assets you have? Is it cash, uh, shares, jewelry, real estate? All these things can be given now. Tricky part is joint property. If you have a joint account with somebody, okay, it is a general rule of law that the right of survivorship applies. That means the joint account holder will end up benefiting. Okay, I generally don't encourage people to put joint property in the will because of the simple fact that there will be a dispute between the joint account owner and the people under the will, your beneficiaries. They can't sort out who will get the thing. You know? And then a lot of these kind of things end up in court. CPM monies, okay? Another thing, a lot of people don't know CPM monies cannot be willed away. You've got to make your own CPM nomination. All right? Insurance policies, there are certain insurance policies under Section 73 uh, of uh, CLPA. You know, you, you cannot will it inside the will. You've got to separately make a nomination under the, you know, under the policy itself. Now, let me... Let me uh, show you something more interesting, you know, that I have discovered. You know, I, I've discovered that, that God has a, has a will. God has a will. God has written a will. You know, the Almighty God, Creator God, has got a will for each and every one of us. You know, why, why I, I say that? The last will and testament, you know, testament, last will and testament is always what we put in a will to describe what is it about. The word testament uh, is actually another word for covenant. It's another word for covenant. You know, it's the same name of my firm, you know, Covenant Chambers. It's another name for covenant. In fact, will writing is a concept that is taken from the Bible. Living a legacy is a concept that is taken from the Bible. So what do I mean by, by God's will? It's right now, it's the new covenant. The new covenant, what do I mean? It is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sin, right? And restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. And we are told, you know, Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and his death on the cross is the basis of the promise. Right from the Old Testament, it was prophesied by many prophets that Jesus Christ will come and he will be the mediator of the new, he will be administrator of the new covenant. And under the new covenant, we are given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. We do not have to work for it, you know. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, on our behalf and brought an end to the law sacrifice. Through the Holy Spirit who lives in all believers, we share in the inheritance of Christ. The Bible talks about the inheritance of Christ many times in the Bible. And what is this will about? You know, let's go back to, to what is a will, the characteristics of a will. Written by a person of a higher order, in this case, written by God. Objective is one-sided. To benefit the beneficiaries written in the will. Right? The third thing is, it's not a contract. You know, when, when the Christian faith is not a contract whereby you do certain things and then God shows up and bless you. No, it's not a contract. The beneficiaries do not have to perform anything. They inherit by virtue of a relationship 
with the person making the will. It's through relationship that we enter into the promises of God, into the kingdom of God. And number four, the will only kicks in into effect upon the death of the settler. We have an inheritance because Christ has died for us. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is the good news that I want to share with you today. You know, apart from, from will writing, you know, that, that God has a will for you. God has written a will, but more importantly, you are written as a beneficiary under that will. You know, um, I just want to share with you very quickly, you know, mankind had experienced separation from God since Adam and Eve sinned. And we have tried many ways to reconcile to God. We have tried religion, following religious rituals so that we can gain God's favour. We have tried philosophy, ways of thinking formulated by men to bridge the gap between God and man. We have also tried good works, doing good things, hoping that it would, God would accept us. But all this we have done in vain. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Religion is about what men hope they can do to reach God. But Jesus told us what God did to reach out to men. What God initiated from His throne room. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. The Bible tells us that Jesus, who had known no sin, who lived the perfect life, who was not tainted with sin, He became a sin offering. That means He took the punishment for sin on the cross, on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see the divine exchange down there? Because of sin, we were supposed to be enemies of God, but because Jesus came to die on our behalf, we can be elevated to the throne room of God, where Jesus was. Jesus offers us reconciliation with God and with fellow men. You know, I just want to share that Jesus sees all our needs. Uh, you may be struggling with things right now. You may be thinking, you know, where is God? In my pain of your suffering, you know, you might have a need, whether it's uh, provision, whether it's love, joy. You might be feeling empty. You might be feeling emotionally unstable. You might be struggling with illness. God sees all your needs. And God wants to meet your needs. But you know what's the greatest need? What's the greatest need of mankind? We all have a God-shaped void that only God can fill. That no man can actually substitute that and take the place of God in our lives. And that's what Jesus offers us. He offers us reconciliation with God and with fellow men. The greatest gift to mankind that God gave is salvation through Jesus Christ, who made things right with God on our behalf. Will you allow salvation to enter your house today? It's a question I want to ask you to seriously ponder and consider. Friends, I pray the Spirit of God reveal to you the condition of your heart. You know, many of us are lost. A story was told of a couple who lost their daughter at an amusement park. Obviously, they were not very amused, you know. <laughs> and after frantically looking for her for an hour, they gave up the search and they decided to go to the police. And when they went to the police station, to their relief, they saw their daughter sitting there happily with a lollipop in her mouth. The irony is 
the daughter did not realize that she was lost. She was not in the company of her parents. It was the parents that are frantically searching for her. Friends, a life without God is true lostness. A life without purpose, a life without direction. We are temporarily distracted by that lollipop, be it earthly riches, be it temporal pleasure, and all these other things. But God is frantically looking for us. He is frantically, urgently looking for us that He sent Jesus Christ to perform that search and rescue. And mind you, Jesus had to pay a high price, a high price for our salvation. Although it's free, He had to pay a high price. The Bible tells us that Jesus, you know, for the joy set before Him, what was the joy? To have us. That was the joy. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, before He died, Jesus the Roman soldiers placed a, a crown of thorns on his head with blood oozing down from the top. He was whipped 39 times for us and died the most humiliating and excruciating death being nailed to the cross. Jesus represents the love of the Father. I want to tell you a, a, another story. The story of a, the prodigal son in the Bible. You know, he went wayward and asked the Father for his inheritance. You know, that's as good as cursing the father dead because the father is still alive. His father gave him the inheritance very graciously and this son, he went away. Squandered all the money, ended up languishing and eating food fed to pigs. But soon he came to his senses and thought, hey, why am I languishing here? My dad is so rich. You know, my dad is so wonderful. Let me go back to my father and at least be one of his servants so that I can at least be fed properly and earn a living. He started his journey back home. While he was still far away, the father saw him from afar, you know, saw him from afar and ran towards the son, embraced him and kissed him. The son said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father replied, bring quickly the best robe and put on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again, for he was lost and is found. That's the heart of the father. The heart of the father is always crying out for his children, always crying out. You know, I'm a father for the second time, and my daughter, my son, I love them, and I would do anything to have them back. But my love for my children cannot, cannot outweigh what God's love for us is so much more, so much more. And um, the Father in the story represents God, our Heavenly Father. And He longs so much for us. And we have, like sheep, all we have gone astray. And He's looking from His balcony, from the top, to ask, when is my son coming back? When is my daughter coming back? You know, friends, don't stay out like the prodigal. My, my, my urgent plea to you, come home. Come home to the Father. You may be rich materially. You, you, may, you, know, you may not be struggling with anything, but deep inside you, you feel empty. There is something more to material blessings, and that is the best gift from God. Eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. To have that relationship reconciled to God. I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes, you know, no one looking around. I'm going to invite all of you who are not yet 
receive this gift of salvation, to receive Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, when we say today's topic, you know, when there is a will, there is a way. What is the will of God? The will of God is to set the way before us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to the Father. Will you accept Jesus into your life, receive forgiveness and reconciliation? Before Jesus gave up his breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. All the work is done. You only have to repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for you. This invitation is also open to those who have accepted the Lord, but for some reason, you have stopped walking with God. And today, you wish to rededicate yourself to God. I'm going to lead you through a very simple prayer and all the believers here will pray with you together. God is knocking at the door of your heart and He wants to come in. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Just say this simple prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life. At this stage, you know, there are three lies that the enemy wants to tell you. The first lie is that you're too good to need Jesus Christ. And we know that that's not true because all of us have led imperfect lives compared to the life of God, compared to the life of Jesus. The second lie the enemy wants to put in your head is you are too bad. God don't want to accept you. Friends, I want to tell you, God's love is more powerful than what we are experiencing. God's love and God wants to have you back. You, God accepts you for who you are and where you are at your station. There is no one that is too bad to not deserve the love of Christ. The third lie is put it off. Put it off. Wait for another time. But do you know what? Brothers and sisters, friends, the right time is when the door is being knocked at. God is knocking at the door of your heart and it is the right time. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm just asking you to be reconciled, to accept Lord Jesus Christ into your life, to have a relationship with God. You might say that, you know, I don't really have enough faith, but the Bible tells us that as long as you have the faith of a mustard seed, it is enough. It is faith on a big God. You might say that I still have a lot of questions about, you know, Jesus and all that. But I want to tell you that, you know, I... I'm a believer for almost 20 years, but I still have a lot of questions. I still have a lot of questions. So I urge you, you know, I'm going to lead you guys in a, in a prayer with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed. If you are ready to say this prayer, I urge you to repeat after me and all the believers here will repeat as well. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love for me. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that you died for my sins. I turn away from my sin and towards you, Lord. I invite you into my heart. Give me the power to transform my life and live victoriously. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen.